Um, welcome again. If this is uh, your first week here, if you've been visiting for uh, a, a little while, we welcome you. Uh, Pat is on sabbatical, so we miss him dearly. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we're taking the time to slow down and look at First Thessalonians. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be with you. And let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look at, uh, at that this morning. Father, thank you for um, thank you for this opportunity just to look at your word. confess that so often we come and it's just something we do again and again and again and again and it's so easy to lose the power and the majesty and the meaning of it because we do it so often but in this moment Holy Spirit would you take from the wisdom that you have with the Father and the Son, would you give it to us by your own power? Would we receive the word as it is implanted into our souls? Because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So start off by asking a question. How do we know God? Even better yet, how do we know that we know God? Right? How do we have confidence that what we know is actually good and true and right? How do we have assurance of salvation? How do we know? We talked about this a little bit with the Thessalonians last week, right? What's happening in Thessalonica? And if you weren't here... Um, the Thessalonian church um, is, is under immense persecution. They're a young church, um, they're young believers, and, uh, you know, kind of like the question, hey, I, did, I made this big decision in my life, and now things aren't going the way I thought they were going to go. Did I make a huge mistake, right? And how easy it is when things aren't going well, right, to take our, like, like just to think, maybe we're not doing the right thing. Maybe we're not acting the way God wants us to act, or maybe we're, we're just not, maybe God just doesn't love us anymore, right? What, what, how does that mean? How do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing? Well, how do we, how do we really know anything? I mean, it's a good question. Um, my daughter had a play this week, which is really exciting. She'd been working on it for a long time. And about halfway through the play, there was a really, really quiet part where it's just background music, right? And if you've ever been to a theater, you know, you know, things like that. And so I was listening and, you know, it was like, dun, 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 you know, dun, 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 dun. I'm not good with melodies, right? But I'm listening to it and I realize all of a sudden I hear this voice in my head, cry me a river. Crimea River. And I'm like, this is Crimea River, Justin Timberlake. And no, like my second thought was, how do I even know that's Crimea River by Justin Timberlake? It's not like I'm listening to Justin all the time, right? Like, um, and so, and then in that moment, of course, my mind is like racing and I'm like thinking, well, I have seen a lot of Justin Timberlake memes this week because it's the first week of May. 
And if you don't know, right, he has a song called It's Gonna Be Me, but he says, it's gonna be May. And so then everybody memes it, you know, it's gonna be May, and they got a big picture of Justin Timberlake. So I've seen it all over Facebook. So I'm like, I guess my brain's making connections, right? But that's what we do. That's how we know things. We know things because we experience them, we recognize them, right, through memory. And we process them when we, and we look at something, right? Maybe, maybe it's something that you see every time you go on a drive. It's a bridge or a landmark or a tree, right? And you know, hey, when I pass this tree, I'm in this great place. Or maybe it's uh, the taste of something. And it's Mother's Day. Maybe it's the taste of something your mom makes. Maybe your mom makes the best chili right? Or apple pie or something like that. And every time you taste it, you're like, oh, this is mom's, right? Maybe it's a smell, right? You get where I'm going with this, right? We know things because we experience them and we learn to come and trust in that experience time and time again, because it's proven itself over and over and over to us. And that's what's happening here in Thessalonica. That's where Paul is. Paul is, uh, he's, gonna be, he's, he's talking about his prayers and he's saying, I see something inside of you, Thessalonians, and I see something and I recognize that the love of God is being poured out in your hearts. I, I smell the fragrant aroma of your worship as you turn from idols to serve the living God. I smell that. And, I, and it's beautiful, and I've seen it in other people as they have turned and worshiped Christ. I have tasted the goodness of God's grace among you, and I recognize it because I've seen it in my own life, right? And I've tasted it myself. And so Paul's, Paul's talking to them and saying, here are the things that I recognize inside of you and helping them to find confidence in what they're doing and how they know the Lord, especially in a time where it's not so easy to trust in, what, in the decisions that they've made to follow Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to talk about three, uh, sorry, two things. The third one is next week because we're in the middle of a paragraph. The third one will be next week. Um, but the first is, what is the evidence? What, when Paul is praying, he gives some evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. What evidence does he give? And he's going to give that to us in verse 3. And then in verses 4 and 5, he's going to talk to us about the experience of the Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about their conversion. How, how was it that they can come to know and rely upon what God has done in their lives through the experience of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll wrap that all up together and talk about how we can use that for us today. So that's where we're going to go. Um, we'll start off in verse 2. And again, this is setting the context for what Paul is talking about. And he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now, some of your Bibles might say, um, we give thanks to God always for all of you, uh, and have the whole sentence, and then say, constantly remembering. And that's because that word comes towards the end of the phrase in the Greek. Um, 
but it's actually better the way we read it, right? Constantly uh, mentioning you in our prayers. Because whenever Paul uses this word constantly, which he does four times, he's always talking about prayer, right? Um, pray without ceasing, right? Anybody know that verse, right? You've heard that verse? That's the same, same word. And so, but what he means there is not that he's like walking around all day praying, but every time he does pray, he always remembers his brothers and sisters, his friends in Thessalonica, right? Remember, he was forced out of the city prematurely, right? After only two or three months where he wanted to stay 18 months or two years. And so he's constantly remembering them, right? Every time he prays saying, I'm constantly praying for you, right? What is he praying? What are those things that he says when he remembers? When he remembers the Thessalonians, what are the things that he remembers and wants to call their mind back to for them to hope and rely on? He says, remembering in verse 3, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a really, really, um, if you guys have heard this before, this trio is a prominent theme in Paul, right? Faith, hope, and love. It occurs four other times um, in Paul's letters, and twice actually in Thessalonians. Uh, so we'll get to look at it again. Um, but this little trio, don't think about it. it when you read this, it's kind of hard sometimes to read, um, like to read this the way we do, the way it's written. Um, like when I first read it, I read like steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. But actually, that in the Lord Jesus Christ part refers to all three of them, right? So it's your work of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your labor of love in the Lord Jesus Christ, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is kind of doing triple duty. So he's talking about all the things that they're doing as a result of being united to Christ, okay? So what are those three things and what do they mean? So work of faith, um, and we'll get to this when we talk to labor of love in just a second, but work of faith is actually fairly straightforward, probably one of the easier ones here. Uh, it just means good works. He's talking about the works that we do as a result of faith. Good works, um, are those things which uh, you could think about it like this. They are the ways in which we express our personal holiness in a way that's honoring to God out of thankfulness and gratitude and love that has come from his salvation, right? It's what we do. It's a, it is the proper response, right? We talked about one of the themes in Thessalonians is how do we act as befits God's people, right? How do we act properly? The works of faith are one of those things, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you've been saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast, right? And then what's verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Salvation and good works, right? Those things go together. This is the whole message of the book of, of, book of James, right? Faith without works is dead because those two things go together. 
Here's what our um, confession of faith says about good works. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you want to go back and read through it, it's really great. Um, it's Westminster Confession of Faith 16, and I'll just read a couple of sentences. It says, These good works are done in obedience to God's commandments and are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness and strengthen their assurance, and then a whole bunch of other things, right? Good works are one of the evidences that we have that we have been empowered and, and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And Paul recognizes that because he sees the good works. Like later on in the passage, he's going to say, I saw how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Right? So that's what good works are. And then you, you know, we just read the verse, right? The second part was your labor of love. And you might say, well, Dan, what's the difference between works of faith and labor of love? And you say, well, I'm glad you asked that, Dan. I will explain that to you. Um, so the difference between uh, works of faith and labor of love. The way, the easiest way I think to think about it is Good works really are, are emphasizing, even though they're not neat categories, they are emphasizing our personal works of holiness. The labor of love is really almost emphasizing the outward labors that we do in love for other people. Okay, so if, if, good, if works of faith are, are primarily how we respond to God, then labor of love is how we interact with our neighbor. You follow me on that? Right? That's what he's emphasizing. They're not neat categories, right? They do have overlap, right? We do good works for our neighbors because we are commanded, right? And we love our neighbors because we are thankful for what Jesus did, right? Like those things do go together, but that's kind of what we're emphasizing. Those two categories emphasize the different dimensions of our relationship with Jesus. You can even see this where Paul writes in other places, like in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Corinthians, remember Paul's writing uh, Thessalonians from Corinth. So Corinthians is not far after, it's a couple years later. But he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord Jesus your labor is not in vain. Right? Always abound in good works because you know that your labor, your toil, your effort on the part of everybody else is not in vain. And think about, think about Paul writing that from what we talked about last week. Right, When Paul set out on this journey, right, he picked up Timothy and Iconium, and then he wanted to go to Phrygia and Galatia. Right? And he couldn't. There was no open door for his message. So he said, well, I'm going to go up to Bithynia. And he couldn't go there. And then he said, I want to go preach the gospel in Asia. And then there was nowhere to go in Asia. And then he had a vision that some, somebody was going to come to Christ in Macedonia. So he takes the boat over to Macedonia. He lands in Philippi. And a woman named Lydia becomes a convert. And then he gets thrown in jail. <laughs> right? Like right after that. And so Thessalonica is really his first major success on this journey. And he gets run out of town. Right? And yet at the same time, he'll say, your labor is not in vain. Even if you can't see it, 
Your labor is not in vain because it's done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all good things remain. All good things remain. Your labor has intrinsic value even when other people don't respond to it. So that's labor of love. And that leads us to our third evidence. The steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Now, I mentioned this when I talked about the trio, um, and we, we talk about it this way. We say it's faith, hope, and love. But if you'll notice in the passage, it's not faith, hope, and love. It's actually faith, love, and hope. You say, well, that's interesting. Why does it do that? So Paul uses faith, hope, and love four other times to talk about that. Um, the most prominent of these places is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which is a passage you probably have heard many times. Right Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Right, Because faith becomes sight, hope becomes reality, but love endures forever. Right, That's the idea behind it. So why does Paul put hope at the end? Because of who he's talking to. Because they're suffering, because they, that's what they need to hear the most, right? It has pride of place because it's what he's emphasizing to them. Because he's saying your hope is sure and steadfast, right? The writer of Hebrews would talk about it like an anchor. It's like an anchor that keeps our hearts from drifting away when circumstances go awry. And when our eyes are tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus, the anchor holds us so that we know God's love is still with us. That's what it does. You could think about hope as that thing which keeps you tethered and pointed in the direction uh, that you need to go. It's, 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 it's the destination of your obedience, right? It's where you're going. It keeps your eyes there. In fact, John would say in 1 John 3, he who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself as he is pure. That actually hoping, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus creates a hope that helps us to abound in personal holiness and love for others. Right? That's the steadfastness of hope. It, it keeps us there when things aren't going the way they seem like they should be going, which is exactly what we're talking about this morning. That hope, we shouldn't think of hope as like, like when I say it, like, man, I really hope I'll get to go to the Indy 500 this year. I have no plans to go, right? Or like when I tell, you know, I always hear in April, my friends, you know, a number of my friends and coworkers will say, you know, yeah, I've got tickets to the Masters, right? And I'm like, Ah, I hope somebody invites me to the Masters, right? I have no, no plans to go, right? That's not what we're talking about with hope, right? Biblical hope is a sure thing because it's guaranteed by the work of Christ, which is already done. And so Paul say in Romans 5, 4, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's already done. The hope is guaranteed. That's why it's sure. That's why it's steadfast. That's why it never goes anywhere because it doesn't depend on how you react to it. It depends on what Jesus did. And that's done. 
So that's all, we, that, there's nothing else. So even when everything in your life seem cra seems crazy or when you see, feel the farthest away from God, that hope anchors your soul to him. So these are the evidences that Paul remembers. But he also remembers their experience. He remembers when he was with them and how they responded to the gospel. So look in verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It's amazing how he starts this passage off. Um, he talks about being chosen, and that's, the, that's the, the language of election. That's what that word means. And I'll come back to that in a second. But he actually doesn't start there. And if you've ever talked about election and predestination and that kind of stuff, like it's like, it gets, it gets confusing, it gets hairy. And we'll talk about it in just a second. But notice in that conversation, that's not where Paul starts. He starts with the love of God. Every single thing that he's talking about in the rest of this paragraph is because God loved them first. When we talk about how do I have confidence in knowing God, it starts with the fact that God loved you first. And that's going to be a, a significant thing for us to remember as we think about the rest of what we're talking about this morning. God loved you first. We love because he first loved us, right? So we start there, and that's where Paul starts. God loved you, right? Brothers loved by God. And then he says, but, uh, and so he says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And again, that is the language of election. Um, normally, that word chosen in your Bible is translated as elect. You'll see this like, um, you know, to the elect or the elect, right? We, we don't say that he has elected you. We just don't use that language for some reason. We say he has chosen you, but it's the same word. And he's talking about, his choice, right? Even thinking like John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, right? It's God's love breaking through into our cold, dead hearts that are, um, that are stuck in sin and making them alive in Jesus, right? That's what he is doing. He's choosing us. That election is a positional reality, Okay? It's, uh, it's something outside of us, right? Kind of like justification, justification by faith. It happens outside of us, right? It affects us, but it happens outside of us. And then he goes on to say, we know that because of what you experienced, right? We know that you were chosen because of what you experienced. Because he says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, and what he's saying is, I'm able to know this because I know something else about what you experienced. I'm going to use a word. It's a long word. It's a, it's a large word. And I'm sorry, but I don't have a better word. 
um, phenomenological, okay? He uses their phenomenological experience to say, this is how we understand it. What do I mean by that? Um, when we wake up in the morning, right? If we get up early enough, we say, oh, look at the sunrise, right? Did the sun actually rise? No, right? We know the earth rotates around the sun, right? Or, you know, all that, you guys with me, right? What we experience is we experience the sun rising. It looks like to us the sun has risen. That's the phenomenon that we experience. And what Paul is saying is, you experience this phenomenon with Jesus, and I've seen that experience before in others, and I've experienced that phenomenon myself, and because I've seen what that experience is like, I can say that even though your, your phenomenological reality is like this, that that represents your positional reality through election. It represents that God does love you, has chosen you, because you experienced him, right? We can say you are chosen by God because you experienced him. So if you ever, I've sat with people who said, I don't know, Dan, if God has chosen me. And my answer back to them will say, but do you love him? Have you experienced his love? Yes. Well, then that's what the Bible teaches. That's how he demonstrates that he has chosen you is by pouring his love out to you. That's how he does it. We can't see the wind, but we see what the wind does. I see the wind blowing in the trees. I see it blowing all my grass clippings away, right? Because I fill the bag too full. And so I know that it's there. That's the exact same way that we're talking about this. We see the experience of the Spirit and so we know his choice because he has poured out his love, because his love has to come first. It has to come first. We do this, uh, if uh, you've sat with us for, uh, to become members of the church, or if that's something you look at, um, or even when you're sharing your stories in community groups, right? Somebody, sometimes somebody will ask you, hey, what's your Christian testimony? What's your testimony of Christian experience? Right? This is what we're relating, is the phenomenon of how we came to know Jesus. And that can look radically different. Right? Think about, we just finished Luke. Think about two people in Luke. John the Baptist, in Luke 1.15, right? the angel says to Zechariah, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit from inside your mother's womb. Right? John the Baptist is a covenant child who says, there's not a day that I can remember where I didn't know Jesus. But contrast that experience with the thief on the cross in Luke 23, who with his literal dying breaths says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right? And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Two radically different experiences, both equally chosen by God and loved by him first. It's awesome. And it should give us hope, not just for ourselves when we doubt, not just for ourselves, but for those people who are far from us, who we deeply care about, to know that even in their last moments, even if they can't, express with words because mind has failed them or whatever else has taken them, 
that Jesus in those last moments can reach out to them and call them to himself because he loves them. It gives us confidence and hope. We asked at the beginning, you know, how do we, what do we do when we doubt? What do we do when things don't seem to be going right in all of the ways that life does that to us, right? All of the different ways, and it's so many different ways. So many times you feel disconnected, right? When I first moved to Indianapolis, I was, um, I was really depressed. It was the first time I was really disconnected from a lot of people. I didn't work at a church, I had moved for a job, and I didn't have any relationships. And I really doubted the love of God for a long season in my life. Um, Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. I don't know. But if you were to come up to me afterwards and say, Dan, you know, what does it mean? How can I know the love of God? How can I have confidence in it? One of the things I would say to you is it's not about, it's not just about, yes, we use the evidences. Yes, we talk about your experience. But at the end of the day, it's not as much what you think about God as much as it is about what God thinks about you. These are the words from C.S. Lewis. You'll probably hear me quote from this sermon again because it's probably the single most impactful thing in my life outside of the Bible. This is a sermon, The Weight of Glory. It's a few sentences, but I want you to listen to this this morning. Lewis says, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance, except insofar as it relates to how he thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, find approval, and please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son. It seems impossible a weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. Have you ever sat in those moments when you feel distant, when you feel doubtful, when you feel afraid, when you feel uncertain? Have you ever just sat Think about the delight of God. Even in our closing moments, let's just do that right now. Just, you don't have to take any notes, you don't have to do anything, just close your eyes. Think about 
the warmness of the presence of God the Father. Feel the light behind your eyelids. And you think about it and you think, all those things that I have done wrong today, this week. And God says to you, that's covered under the blood of Jesus. You feel warmth come over your body and you see Jesus and He smiles at you. And He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. Maybe that love is new to you this morning. I'd invite you to sit with it even more. To think about how should you respond to that love. The love that doesn't condemn, that doesn't throw aside, but that invites you into his presence to trust in Jesus. Father, we do pray that you would fill us with your love this morning, that when those times of doubt and hurt and distance come, you would remind us of your love, the love that reaches into the most holy place and anchors our soul, the love that put Jesus on the cross and poured him out on our behalf, the love that is freely given to all of us by grace through faith in Jesus. As we go forth from here, would we remember that love and carry it with us everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.